This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Today is Friday, September 20th, 2019. On this day in 1928, serial killer Gordon Northcott was apprehended in Okanagan Landing in British Columbia, Canada. He had been on the run for five days, ever since his nephew and unwilling accomplice led police to his ranch in Wineville, California. There, they found bloodied knives he'd used as murder weapons. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Every day, we flip back the calendar to this date years ago and recount one event from true crime history. I'm Vanessa Richardson, and today we're going back to September 20th, 1928, when serial killer Gordon Northcott was arrested after he spent months kidnapping, sexually assaulting, and murdering several local boys, all around the age of 12 years old. He even kidnapped his own nephew, who he both victimized and shaped into an unwilling accomplice. But finally, his nephew escaped from his clutches and with the help of his sister, Jessie, pointed the police right back to Gordon's farm. Unfortunately, once they arrived, Gordon had already fled to Canada with his mother. Due to the graphic nature of this serial killer's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of the sexual assault of minors, torture, and murder that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under the age of 13. Now let's return to the morning of September 20th, 1928, as Gordon and his mother were driving through Vancouver at dawn. Mother was really getting on Gordon's nerves. In theory, she was helping him. She'd fled with him from California to Canada once it had become clear that they couldn't stay there. But the past few days of travel had been wearing Gordon thin. They ate together, they slept in the same hotel room, and every endless hour that they traveled by train or by car, Gordon had to choose between listening to mother's endless chatter or snapping at her to trigger a long, tense silence. Today, Gordon settled for silence. He relished every last shred of quiet he could get. 
After a wordless breakfast at a quaint diner outside of Vancouver, they drove their rental car the rest of the way to the train station. There, they boarded a train bound for Sycamus on the Canadian Pacific Railway. Gordon knew he just had to remain calm for a few more hours. Once they reached Sycamus Station, he and his mother would split up for good. She would disappear to Calgary while he'd continue on to Okanagan Landing, free forever. Well, not really free. He'd always be a wanted man. Ever since the first time Gordon had used his axe to hack a child to death, he'd known that his fate would come down to a manhunt and a frantic flight. He'd just never imagined that escape would involve his mother, too. Soon enough, the train reached the station. He remained planted in his seat while his mother rose to her feet. She, along with all the other debarking passengers, gathered her bags, affecting a casual air. With no patience for long goodbyes, Gordon gave only the slightest of nods as his mother strode from her seat and walked out of his life, seemingly forever. As much as he hated the feeling, Gordon felt a pang of remorse as she walked away. He forced himself not to stare out the window while Mother stepped onto the platform and disappeared into a sea of people. A few hours later, he'd almost forgotten his painful non-goodbye. He tried to read a newspaper, scouring the headlines for any news related to the manhunt. He loved the sight of his own name in the press, even if the coverage was negative. But as he flipped the page, Gordon noticed a pair of police officers striding down the aisles. He tried to act nonchalant and lifted the paper a bit to cover his face, but it was too late. One of the officers had already focused his attention on Gordon. The questioning that followed seemed to last a lifetime. Gordon gave his false name, but the police clearly recognized him. They asked for his identification, and Gordon knew that it was all over. No use fighting anymore. As he felt his fate closing in, Gordon confessed that he was Gordon Northcott, the Wineville Chicken Coop murderer. Coming up, we'll tell Gordon's story, including what drove him to be a killer, how the police caught up to him, and the strange story of the 10-year-old runaway who impersonated one of his victims, deceiving the police, but not the victim's mother. Now back to the story. Gordon Northcott was born in 1906. According to his statements to the police, Gordon had a troubled childhood in which he was molested by his father. Gordon claimed that his trauma manifested when he was an adult in the form of his irresistible impulse to sexually assault and kill young boys. In 1926, 13-year-old Sanford Clark came to live with 20-year-old Gordon and Gordon's parents on the family ranch in Wineville, California. Initially, Sanford's parents didn't realize the danger their son was in. They believed that the teen was safe with his uncle and grandparents and considered the question of custody to be a private family affair. But they had no idea what horrors Gordon would impose on his nephew. 
For two years, Gordon abused Sanford sexually and physically, but he knew that there was a limit as to what he could do to Sanford. If the teen were seriously injured or killed, his parents would go to the police. So, in early 1928, Gordon began seeking out anonymous victims to satisfy his sadistic impulses. His first confirmed victim was nine-year-old Walter Collins, who Gordon kidnapped on March 10, 1928. Though he never admitted to the crime, Gordon is said to have held Walter hostage, beating and molesting him, and forcing his mother and Sanford to participate in the abuse. For weeks, Walter lived a hellish life, until Gordon determined that he was ready to move on to a new victim. That day, Gordon led Walter into a chicken coop, where he murdered the young boy with an axe. Afterward, he dissolved the body in quicklime to dispose of the evidence. Meanwhile, Sanford's sister, Jessie, grew increasingly suspicious of her uncle and finally requested the police perform a welfare check on Sanford in 1928. The police brought Sanford into custody in September that year. They questioned him about his life and well-being on the farm. Finally, Sanford testified that Gordon had abused him and forced him to participate in sexual assaults and murders of other abducted local boys. A search of Gordon's farm returned an axe stained with human blood. But Gordon was nowhere to be found. When Gordon had realized the police were closing in, he and his mother had fled to Vancouver, Canada. They managed to evade arrest for five days before they were each seized aboard separate trains on September 20th, 1928. Gordon has been confirmed as the killer of at least three boys. But after his arrest, he confessed to 20 additional murders. Police were doubtful about these claims, as Gordon was notoriously fame-seeking and may have enjoyed the attention that came from being a prolific serial killer. After a lengthy extradition process, Gordon's trial began the following January in 1929. He was condemned to death. One of the most fascinating aspects of Gordon's story lies in the strange case of 12-year-old Arthur Hutchins Jr. Police found the homeless child soon after Walter Collins went missing. The police asked Arthur who he was, and he claimed that he was the missing Walter Collins. The police placed Hutchins in the Collins home in August 1928. However, Walter's mother, Christine, insisted that the returned child was not her son. The police refused to listen and eventually had her involuntarily committed to an asylum. Finally, three weeks later, a dental examination revealed the truth. The police finally realized that Arthur was a runaway who'd gone along with the police's claims for unclear reasons. With this revelation, Christine was finally released from the psychiatric facility. The case was especially cruel to Christine Collins. She lost her son, 
Then she was ostracized for insisting that Arthur Hutchins Jr. wasn't her son. She spent the remainder of her life convinced Walter was alive. Murder leaves emotional scars on the friends and families of the victims, whose loved ones are ripped from their lives forever. But as sharp as the pain of death might feel, the lack of resolution can leave a different wound. Police struggled to ever conclusively say how many victims Gordon claimed. Whatever closure his arrest and execution gave his victims, it couldn't ever heal the ache of those whose sons and brothers simply went missing, never to be seen again. Many missing children cases from Gordon's active time period simply remain unsolved. Gordon Northcott's ultimate legacy is a trail of pain, grief, and uncertainty. For more information on Gordon Northcott and his crimes, check out our crossover episodes of Hostage and Serial Killers, which explore Gordon's life and that of the nephew he abducted. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free, from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram, at ParCast, and Twitter, at ParCast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Paul Mahler, Maggie Admire, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Angela Jorgensen. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 